Hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning into the Social Work Journal channel. I'm your host, Del Tom, and this podcast is a place of healing that relates everyday experiences to research, peer-reviewed journals, evidence-based practice, and occasionally a little pop culture. Today, we're going to explore thought distortions. Before we get started, if you have comments, questions, or suggestions, please email me at thesocialworkjournal at gmail.com. You can find me on TikTok and Instagram and head over to my website at www.thesocialworkjournal.com. For more details, read the description below. Today's episode is the final episode of season one and is dedicated to Erin Beck, who passed away on November 1st, 2021 at the age of 100. Aaron Beck founded the Beck's Depression Inventory, and he also discovered cognitive distortions in the therapeutic treatment, cognitive behavioral therapy. So let's go ahead and get into our topic today, thought distortions. What are thought distortions? Thought distortions are also known as cognitive distortions. They're basically negative schemas or thinking patterns. Now, does that ring a bell? I remember we talked about this in episode four, ruminating. But to distinguish distortions from ruminating, cognitive distortions reinforce the negative emotions that one feels about themselves. Ruminating is just when you repeat those cognitive distortions in your mind over and over again because of some type of tragic experience and you can't seem to get out of being stuck in that thought process. Cognitive behavioral therapy is used to treat depression, anxiety, and cognitive distortions. And there's other variations of cognitive behavioral therapy, such as emotive cognitive behavioral therapy, which is often used to treat eating disorders. And there's rumination-focused cognitive behavioral therapy, which we talked about in episode four, ruminating, which is used to treat ruminating, chronic ruminating, that is. So if you haven't listened to episode four yet, go ahead and check it out. So let me give you some examples of cognitive distortions. Healthline wrote an article called, what are cognitive distortions and how can you change these thinking patterns? And here are some of the examples that they listed. Let's see if you've ever had a thought that kind of sounds like this. I have the worst luck in the entire world. Hmm. Do you really have the worst luck in the entire world? How do you measure that? There's just so many people and people have different experiences at different times. Not so sure about that one. I just failed that math test. I'm no good at school and I might as well quit. You failed one test, so you're not good at any subject in school and you should quit school. Hmm, that sounds like a distortion to me. She's late, it's raining. She has hydroplaned her car and it's upside down in a ditch. Okay, you had an appointment with someone where you guys were gonna meet up. It's raining and the first thing that came to your mind was, oh, she must have hydroplaned and ran into a ditch and she's upside down in, in a ditch. Couldn't she just be running late because typically there's more traffic in the rain? I don't know, that sounds like a distortion to me. So Healthline, if you go on in the article, they begin to talk about the different types of cognitive distortions. Now, I want you to know that I kind of put my own twist on what they wrote in the article. I didn't 
write down my interpretations verbatim. These are my interpretations. So uh, I think it'll be good to do a comparison between the Healthline article and what I'm about to share with you now. So polarized thinking is the first type of cognitive distortion. Plain and simple, polarized thinking is just black and white thinking. So it's the belief that you're either destined to fail or succeed. So think of a statement that begins with always or never. And that's probably going to be polarized thinking. So if you say, I always have bad luck with money, or I never lose when I play blackjack, more than likely you're engaging in polarized thinking. The next type of cognitive distortion that they listed was overgeneralization. And this is when a person takes one experience and they relate it to other experiences that remind them of the previous experience. So for example, if you had a friend that betrayed your trust and now moving forward, you experience thoughts or make statements such as, you can't tell your friend's secrets because they will tell others. Or it's hard to make friends because you can't trust most people. That's an overgeneralization. Just because you had one situation with one friend where they betrayed your trust doesn't mean that you'll never be able to make friends or that you can't trust more people or that friends always tell secrets. You know, not all friends tell secrets. Okay, the next one that they list here is catastrophizing. So catastrophizing is basically taking a minor setback and interpreting an exaggerated poor outcome. It's the assumption of the worst. So catastrophizing can also consist of what-if statements that explore worst-case scenarios and instances where there is no evidence that that negative event will occur. So for example, if I don't perform better at my job, I will get fired. Although there has been no disciplinary action or talks between that person and their supervisor concerning their performance. So if you and your supervisor never had a conversation about your performance, why would you assume in your mind that you need to perform better or you could possibly be fired? There's been no evidence of that. Okay, the next one is personalization, and that's taking the blame for things that are beyond our control. Does that sound familiar from episode four, ruminating? We talked about internalizing, taking on responsibility that doesn't belong to you, taking on the blame for things that are outside of your control. So an example of that would be, and I'm sure you've heard somebody say something like this before. My boyfriend left me because he found someone else who's a better girlfriend than I was. Hmm. That's definitely a distortion because when two people break up, it's because two of them made some kind of decision or contributed to that breakup. So the thing is that she's taking on a responsibility that doesn't belong to her. Maybe her boyfriend left her because he's not that great at commitment. Maybe they weren't compatible, but she was more into the relationship than he was. And he said, you know what? I think if we just break it off now, she'll probably realize too that we just weren't compatible. I wouldn't take it so personal. That's personalization. She's taking on blame that doesn't belong to her. The next one is mind reading, and that's making assumptions about what others are thinking. So um, I want to give you an example of this. I had a student that had gotten into a physical altercation with another student. And we were kind of 
debriefing, reflecting on how this physical altercation started. And it all started with a look. And the girl said to me, that girl was staring at me like she wanted to fight me. She was talking about the other student that she had gotten into a physical altercation with. Well, when I sat both of them down and we actually questioned the evidence, in actuality, what we found out was the other person was daydreaming and didn't even recall looking at the student that was mind reading. So that's a good example of mind reading. It's just making assumptions about what other people are thinking rather than questioning the evidence. Okay, so the next one is mind filtering and discounting the positive. And that's overlooking positive outcomes to focus on negative outcomes. So that's mind filtering. Now discounting the positive is attributing positive outcomes to a fluke. So I remember once many years ago, hearing an interview with Madonna on MTV, where she discussed that she was performing in front of a crowd. And she said the whole room could be moving with her, but she tends to focus on that one person who is standing motionless. Now, some people may call this perfectionism and a means to motivate a better performance, but for sanity's sake, we're gonna call it mind filtering and personalization. Because first of all, mind filtering, let's focus on the, the first aspect. If you have a whole room of people, and this isn't even a room, this is probably like some huge arena. You have a whole arena of people that are moving to your music and they're engaging with you and you're choosing to focus on that one person that's standing motionless, why are you discounting the positive and just focusing on what you perceive to be negative? Also, why would you assume that the person that's standing there motionless is not enjoying themselves? They purchased the ticket and Madonna's tickets are not cheap, okay? They stayed. They didn't go back to the box office and say, hey, I want my money back. This performance sucked. People show their enjoyment in different ways. I know myself, I'm more of a calm, chill type person. I could be having the time of my life. That doesn't mean I'm gonna be jumping up and down or dancing or moving. Sometimes, yes, sometimes, no. So. That's an example of mind filtering and discounting the positive. Okay, um, another example is when people use should statements. And these are fixed ideas of how one thinks situations should be. So uh, an example that I kind of think of all the time is when people use the phrase common sense. Common sense will tell a person they should do this instead of that. Well, as my maternal grandmother used to say, if common sense were so common, then everyone would have it. So you can't say how things should be. And oftentimes when you do these should statements, you set yourself up for disappointment, which is what cognitive distortions are. They're negative schemas that you replay in your mind that set you up for disappointment. Labeling is another one. So labeling is assigning negative characteristic traits, bad, evil, or good. Well, good doesn't really sound that negative, but 
it's a label. I think it's important to remember that no one or nothing can be all good or all bad. People especially have positive traits and they have negative traits. And there are pros and cons to everything. That brings us back to black and white thinking. What did we say black and white thinking was? Mm, polarizing. So labeling is just a way of thinking about things in a black and white manner, also known as polarizing. And then there's emotional reasoning. Emotional reasoning, excuse me. And that means that you believe that how you feel is fact. Now, don't get me wrong. How you feel is always valid, but you may learn, especially when you're dealing with a situation that involves other people, that your experiences may not match other people's experiences. I'm going to give you an example of this. I had a client that said to me that they feel that they get judged a lot by the people around them. I guess you can just call them peers, you know. They get judged a lot by their peers and that their peers don't like them because they're always criticizing them. And I was like, hmm. And I think the exact term that they used was my peers pick on me, but they didn't say peers. They just said, you know, these people pick on me. So I, I said to my client, I said, okay, let's try to think about that in another way. And I gave them an example so they could dissect the thought distortion outside of themselves and then relate the experience back to themselves. So I said, for instance, if I had a supervisor and my supervisor was giving me a lot of instructions, they'll give me an instruction, I'll execute the task, and then they come back with another instruction. And I say to myself, my supervisor is picking on me. My supervisor doesn't like me. And that's why they keep giving me all these instructions. I was like, do you think I'm going to have a positive relationship with my supervisor? And my client said, no. And I was like, what if instead of associating my supervisor giving me instructions with a negative thought, what if I had a positive thought about it? And I said to myself, wow, my supervisor knows that I'm responsible and knows that I'm great at executing tasks and getting the job done. So that's why my supervisor follows up with a lot of instructions with me because they know I'm going to get things done efficiently. I was like, now, how do you think my relationship is going to be with my supervisor? My client said, probably good. I said, exactly. And I feel better because I'm saying positive things to myself rather than negative things. So we kind of worked on saying positive affirmations to ourselves so that we can start looking at things from a more positive perspective rather than negative, assuming the worst catastrophizing or, you know, emotional reasoning, thinking that how we feel that's exactly what's going on when in actuality, the other person is having a different experience. So let's get into a little bit the implications of thought distortions. Based off of episode four, what do you think the implications of thought distortions are? You guessed it, depression and anxiety. According to the article, a relationship between weak attentional control and cognitive distortions explained by negative affect by the National Center of Biotechnology Information, which is NCBI, 
And if you don't know what NCBI is, they're basically a branch of the United States National Library of Medicine, okay? So according to their article, people with weak attentional control engage in high negative thinking patterns, which leads to anxiety and depression. Weak attentional control exaggerates attentional bias because additional bias is essentially a failure of selective attention. But what is weak attentional control? So according to the Encyclopedia of Human Behavior, the second edition, weak attention, attentional control, excuse me, is weakness of executive control. Now remember, executive control is a part of our brain that uses cognition, right? Cognition, executive control is a, a part of cognition, right? So basically these people specifically have an inability to inhibit or engage in memory suppression. And we talked about memory suppression in episode four, ruminating, when we talked about the think, no think, that's a memory suppression exercise. So that inability to have attentional control, it increases in anxiety in people who are distracted by the threat of outside factors. And they prioritize attending to these threatening factors, which are basically unproductive thoughts, because these are things we can't control. They overattend to these threatening outside factors over attending to productive thoughts. So if you want to have um, more information, you can always go to the Encyclopedia of Human Behavior and go into the neurobiology section, and they'll talk about brain disorders, and they'll get into cognition and executive functioning a little bit more. But basically, people who have cognitive distortions or thought distortions are people who are unable to inhibit unproductive thoughts, okay? So how do we treat cognitive distortions with cognitive behavioral therapy? What is cognitive behavioral therapy? It's change the way you think, change the way you feel, change the way you behave. So what are some of the tactics of cognitive behavioral therapy? I'm not going to tell you all of them. I'm just going to tell you some of them. And some of them I already described. Um, but just enough so that you kind of have a sense of some things that you can do to inhibit some of those memories. So thought stopping, right? It's just memory suppression. I'm going to change my attention from that unproductive thought, thinking about something that's out of my control. And I'm going to think about something more productive. And as we talked about in episode four, how do we do that? We first do that with changing, um, productive, unproductive activities to productive activities like exercising, great stress reliever and a productive activity that takes your mind off of things that you can't control. Questioning the evidence, which I described earlier with my client. So questioning the evidence is quite important because when you question the evidence, especially if you're dealing with another individual in the situation, you say, hey, when you said this, did you mean this? Now that other individual has the opportunity to clarify for you so that you're not mind reading. So questioning the evidence that can also involve perspective taking. Well, I think that when this person did this, it meant this, but it's possible that it could have meant this as well. That's questioning the evidence.
and labeling distortions. So that's basically saying, okay, I have this thought. Is this negative or is this positive? Okay. And how can I change this to a positive thought? Much like what I did with my client that I explained earlier. We changed that negative thought to a positive thought and we're able to identify that it that thought was not helping us. It was hurting us. And it was because we were saying negative things to ourselves rather than positive things to ourselves. It's very important that if you want to have cognitive um, distortions under control, you want to reframe the way you think about things, the way you perceive things after identifying the relationship between your thoughts, feelings, and emotions. Okay, so I'm going to share a little personal story with you before we part. And um, I kind of want to talk about, I guess, mind reading a little bit. But I would also say that in my personal experience, and I remember this being an experience of mine when I was an adolescent, when I was a teenager, when I was in high school, I used to kind of travel in a bubble because I had a lot of issues going on at home. And a lot of people didn't know that about me because I kept a smile on my face. Well, I distinctly remember people kind of pressuring me to assign meaning to things that to me, because I was in my little bubble, I thought they were meaningless, right? So I, I remember particularly someone had called me a name and someone else had said, um, well, you shouldn't have left that off. You know, the only reason why this person was teasing you like that is because you don't stand up for yourself. You don't know how to um, defend yourself or you're too nice. Well, what that person was doing was they were mind reading but they were projecting their own negative feelings about themselves onto me. And I kept getting that pressure to assign more meaning to a situation that to me was meaningless. And I'm just going to tell you that over time, what I've learned, much like that Alfred Adler quote that we read last week, over time, I have learned that a great coping mechanism with thought distortions or cognitive distortions is by not assigning meaning to things that are meaningless. My paraphrase of Adler, um, Ald <laughs> I said Adler, Alfred Adler's quote is, most things are meaningless until we decide to assign meaning to them. So to me, it doesn't matter what someone else's intentions are. There are things in my life today that I purposefully ignore. I could know in my heart, I could just feel it, that someone is trying to insult me. Someone is trying to offend me by something that they're saying. But what I ask myself is, is that important? Of all the things that I need to do right now, is that high on my list of priorities? And if it's not, I choose to ignore it. I put the mirror up to that person and I reflect their negative feelings that they have about themselves back to them. I say, oh no, those are your feelings. I don't have those feelings. You have that back. You can take that back. I don't want it. And that's how I battle 
cognitive distortions. I decide what I want to take on and I decide what I want to allow people to keep for themselves. Rather than chasing the ball, allow the ball to come to you and address how you want to engage with the ball should it arrive. But if the ball never arrives, why catastrophize? Why go to the worst case scenario? Why tell yourself that you need to address every negative situation that comes your way? You know, if you want to be in control of yourself, you pick and choose how you use your time and you pick and choose what you allow yourself to attend to. And a positive affirmation, because I know we spoke about positive affirmations before. One of the positive affirmations that I say to myself to remind myself not to attend to things that are unproductive is I say to myself, my time is valuable and I need to make sure that I'm using my time wisely. My time is valuable and I need to make sure that I use my time wisely. My time is valuable and I need to make sure that I use my time wisely. When I say that to myself, I realize what my value is, what my worth is, and I realize what's important. And I focus on what's important rather than allowing a distraction to come my way, because that's what cognitive distortions are. They're distractions. And if you can avoid the distraction, if you can put the mirror up and reflect it back and say, oh, no, that's not mine. That's yours. I don't want to take it back. And you can keep your focus on what's productive. I promise you, you're going to see a lot of fruitful things come in your life because when you're at your optimal performance of being productive and efficient and focusing your attention on the things that matter, first of all, you're going to enjoy your life a lot more. You're going to have a lot less stress and you're going to find that you're getting so many important things done that are allowing you to grow in the manner that you want to grow. Maybe financially, you might see some fruitfulness by staying away from those cognitive distortions and keeping your mind focused on the positive. Maybe you'll see, uh, you know, your social life growing because you're going to have a better quality of friends if you're not in that negative space. Something to think about. But you know what? It was a pleasure joining with you all and congregating and having this experience of being able to share my own personal stories and talk about these everyday experiences that we have and relate them to research. It's good to see what's out there so that we know that what we're experiencing is typical, it's, it's normal, it's nothing out of the ordinary. So thank you all for tuning in again. Again, this is the last episode of season one. I want to thank everyone who has been listening and joining in. And I know I kind of grazed over this the last episode, but the first episode I told you by little, you know, my history. And I said I was a licensed social worker. Well, as of early October 2021, I became a licensed clinical social worker. So now I can practice independently. I know I kind of grazed over that on episode four, but I was like, okay, let me just explain that a little bit. So yay, kudos for me. I got my clinical license and I'm pretty excited about that. Um, I plan on going on a little hiatus from this podcast, but there will be products 
coming on my website. So make sure you continue to check out my website, www.thesocialworkjournal.com because I have some products coming out that you're going to love. And um, I'm going to continue to post on my Instagram and my TikTok. I believe my TikTok is SWJ underscore Deltom. But again, read the description below for more information. And yeah, you guys are great. I appreciate all the support and I will see you next season. Take care and bye-bye.